when you grow up, you tend to get told that the world is the way it is and your your life is just to live your life inside the world, try not to bash into the walls too much, uh, uh, try to have a nice family life, uh, have fun, save a little money. Um, but life, th- that's a very limited life. Life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact, and that is everything around you that you call life was made up by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence it. You can you can build your own things that other people can use. And the minute that you understand that you can poke life and actually something will, you know, if you push in, something will pop out the other side, that you can, you can change it, you can mold it, um, that's maybe the most important thing, is to shake off this... Uh, th- this uh, erroneous notion that life is is there and you're just going to live in it versus embrace it change it improve it make your mark upon it um, I, I think that's very important and however you learn that once you learn it uh, you'll want to change life and make it better because it's kind of messed up in a lot of ways um, once you learn that you'll never be the same again If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old-school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Welcome back to the Sprinkler Nerd Show. I'm your host, Andy Humphrey. This is episode 133 and those were the words of the famous Steve Jobs. Jobs. No, it's Jobs. However you like to say it, I like to say Jobs, Steve Jobs. And this quote really resonates with me. Not because I think Steve Jobs is an American hero or some sort of god. <laughs> Frankly, I don't really care if you are a fan of Steve Jobs or not. What I like is that this reminds me that you have the power. You are in control. Your destiny is your destiny. If it's meant to be, it's up to me or up to you. Anything is possible and nobody is allowed to tell you otherwise. I think that if you have a dream, you should chase it. Like, seriously, this is your one life, your one shot. Go poke the world and see what happens. And let me know what happens. I want you to poke the world and then tell me what happens. So in today's episode, it is today's episode is going to be a sequence of 26 recorded quotes or short stories uh, or, or the like that I recorded on my iPhone over the past few months. I listened to a lot of audiobooks. And when something, you know, speaks to me, resonates with me, something that I like, sometimes I share it with friends, but what I do is I stop, I replay it, and I record my screen with the audio so that I can reference it later. So this week, I scrolled back through my phone and downloaded the most 26 recent audio clips. (laughs) Why 26? Because exactly 26 is a weird number and I wanted to get your attention, so it's 26, 26 amazing thoughts 
recorded clips that I'd like to share with you today. And each one of these could probably be an entire episode or discussion. And perhaps I'll use these more in the future. So if my little dog Daisy would stop her fucking barking, I could get on with the podcast. Yo, Daisy, no more. <laughs> so some of these quotes will land for you. Others um, you know, may go in one ear and out the other. And that's okay. I don't expect every one of you gorgeous listeners to believe everything that I believe. I'm just here putting some thoughts out into the world and hope you enjoy. So let's kick off clip number one from the morning show on Apple TV. This really is the land that time forgot. All right, well, I did my best, but I cannot drag you idiots kicking and screaming into the 21st century. You're just so caught up in ruling over your rotten little fiefdom that you don't even see the world that has sprouted up all around you. All right, well, enjoy broadcasting your cave paintings to the last remaining savages who are still watching over the air broadcasting. The rest of the world, they've moved to the cloud, and it is gorgeous up there. So that was Corey Ellison, who plays, who is the CEO of UBA. And if you haven't seen the morning show, UBA is almost like NBC. So the morning show kind of mirrors um, Matt Lauer and NBC, but then it, it sort of moves on beyond that. And uh, anyway, it's a good show, whether you like it or not, or are interested or, or not. This quote is, um, I like this quote because it reminds me a lot of industry. And when I say the word industry, I I mean the irrigation industry, but what I really mean is the greater use of the word industry, all established industries, uh, you know, like the cable television industry, okay? Because the comparison would be Netflix versus NBC kind of a thing. So it reminds me of old established industry, and this is because sometimes I feel as though I feel as if mind share our mind share or or whatever the industry is, the industry's mind share is controlled, can be controlled or influenced or manipulated by a few big companies. And as much as the big guys like to think they have the latest technology. I, I think that oftentimes this is either a straight up lie or uh, or a lack of knowledge or understanding of technology or just plain ignorance. Um, I, I think that oftentimes it seems as though the big players in industry often want to tell you what they have, like almost in an attempt to repress true innovation. It's like big industry, big companies, the ones that rule all industries want to repress innovation and protect their existing business and their existing business models and their customers. They don't want change. They want to repress innovation. And so this quote just totally reminds me of that, which reminds me of this industry. And I'm not singling out this industry. This is just the one that we're in. It reminds me of all established old industries. And I do have a quote later, as you'll hear, and it um, says something like, technology puts the hands in the every... Uh, wait, no. Technology puts the power of the hands in the everyday person. So maybe what I'll do is go find that quote and play that one for you next, because that is probably what in why industry is so... could be so slow to change and, ad and adapt... 
innovation and technology because technology puts the power in the hands of the people. And that means you and me, not big industry players. So yeah, let's go ahead and play that quote next. Power to the people is kind of how I've retrofitted my whole company creation philosophy that technology empowers the regular person to take on the man and bust the old ways. And God, I love that. Take on the man and bust the old ways. Any idea? Do you have any guess who said that? This is a fantastic company. Talk about a disruptor. Those were the words of Rich Barton, CEO of Zillow. Zillow put the power of real estate in the hands of the people, not the real estate company. Super disruptive. And anyway, that I just I just love that quote. So I don't have much else to say about that one, and I can't say too much about every quote or we'll be here for three hours. So let's move on to the next the next clip. Not a quote, it's a clip. The great plan with the Grateful Dead is not like, uh, we don't, uh, a lot of groups, okay, here's the showbiz formula, folks, here it comes. Uh, what you do is you make a record, you perform your record on stage. You know, you tour and try to make an effort to sell as many records as possible, and you perform a record. Now, some people can play the same music every night over and over again and maybe not even get bored by it, but for me, I hate to play anything the same twice ever. You know, I mean, in fact, I'm almost constitutionally unable to do it, you know. It's just, it, it isn't fun for me, and luckily everybody else in the band, the Grateful Dead, is like me in that regard. So, uh, with us, it's a matter of our our problem is to keep ourselves interested and that means to keep uh keep changing so that means that every night we play differently and we play a different show we play the material differently we don't do we don't do a show as such really what we have is a large repertoire of about mm, pushing 200 songs when we really are working a lot and we just uh go on stage and play So there you have it. Keep yourself interested and keep changing. Every time you do your job, your project, your design, whatever it is, try try it a little different. A little different. Doesn't have to be much. You don't have to risk the whole project. Just do it a little different and keep yourself interested. Okay, cool. Moving on. What did you learn from starting and failing with these 30 different businesses? There's no failure. There's just learning. There's no failure. There's only failure if you quit. I use the term failure. You use the term failure. A lot of people use the term failure. It's not failure. It's just learning. Having to be persistent, having to grind it out. You don't have to be the smartest. I dropped out of high school. I would say I'm probably of like average intelligence. I'm around a lot of really smart people these days who are really a lot smarter than I am and can be quite intimidating intellectually. One thing I've learned is you don't need to be a genius. You just need to put in a ton of action and just keep plowing forward and pushing forward. And you will learn and learn and your learning will compound. As long as every single day you are giving it your all and pushing forward to the next step, too many people just get too discouraged and they just don't give it their all or they give their all for a short duration of time and they don't see immediate feedback. The feedback loop is not always immediate. You got to keep putting that work in and sometimes that feedback loop is not going to hit you for a while. And... I think the thing I've learned is you can really do anything. You can really do anything, guys. There is no such thing as failure, only learning. Put in the time, put in the reps, fail, fail fast, learn, try again, do it different. You get the idea. 
Let's move on to the next clip. Interesting. I think yeah. th- this is, again, where, you know, augmenting human performance, these gains are going to be 30% this year, 30% next year, and that's double. So once again, if you are running a company right now, you need to get everybody in a room. Everybody has to learn these new tools. Everybody has to learn AI or else your company is going to fall behind dramatically. Those are the words of Jason Calacanis, J. Cal. He's the host of This Week in Startups. He's kind of the the foremost expert angel investor, and he sees AI as a tool. And he is embracing it, and he's predicting that if a company is not using it, the company may fail. So keep that in mind. Learn, learn the newest technology so that your business can continue, can keep and grow and have the competitive advantage. What company today is not using a computer? A company today that's not using a computer is a company today that does not exist. And a company tomorrow that is not using AI is a company tomorrow that doesn't exist. Okay, cool. On to the next clip. To survive in this age, individuals and organizations must examine what they're doing to earn a living and ask themselves three questions. One, can someone overseas do it cheaper? Two, can a computer do it faster? Three, is what I'm offering in demand in an age of abundance? Mere survival today depends on being able to do something that overseas knowledge workers can't do cheaper, that powerful computers can't do faster, and that satisfies one of the non-material transcendent desires of an abundant age. That is why high-tech is no longer enough. We'll need to supplement our well-developed high-tech abilities with abilities that are high-concept and high-touch. As I mentioned in the introduction, High-concept involves the ability to create artistic and emotional beauty, to detect patterns and opportunities, to craft a satisfying narrative, and to combine seemingly unrelated ideas into a novel invention. High-touch involves the ability to empathize, to understand the subtleties of human interaction, to find joy in oneself and to elicit it in others, and to stretch beyond the quotidian in pursuit of purpose and meaning. You might want to play that one again. That was Daniel Pink from his book, A Whole New Mind, which goes all the way back to 2006, yet he was already talking about the human value over the computer. Okay, so anyway, for what it's worth, just remember that the computer could replace you if you don't focus in the right areas. So... That's up to us as humans. The value the value might be changing. What was valuable yesterday may not be valuable tomorrow. So it's up to us to always be looking, understanding, and using the creative side of our brain to see where the value is and to offer, I guess, offer that value. So, okay, cool. On to the next one. As Adam Grant writes, Intelligence is traditionally viewed as the ability to think and learn. Yet in a turbulent world, there's another set of cognitive skills that might matter more. The ability to rethink and unlearn. So this is Brene Brown in her book, Atlas of the Heart. And this is a quote that I you've probably heard me use this right here on the podcast. I say, unthink. Now, what do I say? Un. Rethink and unlearn, 
versus unthink and relearn. But the essentially what she's saying is just challenge what you think you know. Sometimes the hardest part of change is realizing that there's another option, that maybe there's no such thing or as right and wrong. And I think I do have another quote from her coming up later that it isn't A or B. What if it was A and B? So just take that to heart as it relates to what you think you know about irrigation and landscaping. And, you know, it's just one. Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe there's lots of options. It's, it's okay. Challenge yourself. Create space for something new to come in. So there's there's Brene Brown. Great, great book, Atlas of the Heart, and especially uh, great for relationships too. So just take that for what it's worth, and uh, we'll move on to the next one. I was telling him, I was like, yeah, man, I, I'm trying to figure out core values because that's something like a company does. Like First Form does it the best yes. in the industry. And I was like, yeah, I can't figure it out. And, uh, and he's like, well, you always say the same thing to yourself, right? I'm like, yeah, well, fuck you, kill everything. And he's like, that's it. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not putting that on my wall as, and he's like, bro, that's it. And I was like, nah, man, like I need to get something nicer for the employees. He's like, wait, 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 who's the most successful fucking killer in that building? And I was like, me. And he's like, okay, so the most successful, powerful person has the most powerful idea and you're going to water that down and make a simpler version because you think you're better than everyone. And I was like, well, I'm not, I don't think I'm better than everyone. He's like, then explain to them what the fuck it means and make them come up to the level that you're on. And I was like, whoa. So, yeah, fuck you, kill everything. So when everything's going completely wrong, like last week, right? Yeah. There's such a tendency to act like a victim. Like, we all know that. Like, you want to be like, oh, it's so cold. My joints hurt because it's going to storm. I can't train, right? And then get out of my head, Rob. I know. I'd use that one specifically for you. No, but like, it's such a, you just want to be a victim. Like, oh, all this money's going on. I work so hard and no one ever respects me and blah, blah, blah. Where the fuck? Or, you know, I'm not given the right things or just the fucking victim shit. And I do it. Mm -hmm. Like, I do it where I'm like, well, I'm not, I don't have abs because of this. And like, Dana has them because she doesn't have to work as hard as me because I'm working to take care of her. <laughs> and like, you get super bitchy. This is why we're And then friends. I fucking snap myself out of it. So like, the fuck you is fuck you, Rob Bailey. Mm -hmm. Like, fuck you, Rob Bailey. You have control over the situation. Fuck you, Rob Bailey. You don't need money to do this. Fuck you, Rob Bailey. You don't have to go home tonight. You can sleep in the fucking warehouse. Mm -hmm. Fuck you, Rob Bailey. No one owes you shit. Mm -hmm. Fuck you, Rob Bailey. Like, the building is on you. Mm -hmm. Advertising is on you. You didn't specify. You didn't give them clear enough direction to execute. That's why they didn't execute. It's your fucking fault. You're the fucking leader. So it's essentially like the, the, the extreme ownership thing, right? Yeah. And then the next step is kill everything. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that like that Rambo mentality of like, no, mow down everything around me and nothing lives. Mm -hmm. But with tasks, yeah. you know? It's just the most aggressive way to say it. Fuck you, kill everything. So when people hear fuck you, kill everything, they're like, fuck me? No, fuck you. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not even talking to you. No, I'm like, like, fuck me. Yeah, you're not even involved in this. Yes. I'm here by my fucking self. Yeah. The accountability is on Rob Bailey. And then Rob Bailey is going to solve it. And not only is he going to solve it, but he's going to solve it so well that nothing is living when he's done. Mm -hmm. So fuck you, kill everything, man. Like it's It helps me through so much shit. Extreme ownership. That was Rob Bailey on my friend George Bryant's podcast. And the takeaway is it's you, man. Own it. Own it. Okay? And if you yeah, just 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 go out there and fucking own it. Okay, next one. 
In Jim Collins and Bill Azir's book, BE, Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0, Jim writes, false dichotomies are undisciplined thought. In the words of F. Scott Fitzgerald, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in the mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. Builders of greatness are comfortable with paradox. They don't oppress themselves with what we call the tyranny of the or, which pushes people to believe that things must be either A or B, but not both. Instead, they liberate themselves with the genius of the and. Undisciplined thinkers force debates into stark tyranny of the or choices. Disciplined thinkers expand the conversation to create genius of the and solutions. Are you an undisciplined thinker or a disciplined thinker? Can you hold two opposing thoughts in your mind at the same time? Can you hold a thought that says PVC is great and a thought that says polypipe is great? PVC and poly, not PVC or poly. Can you hold a thought that says ET-based control systems and soil moisture sense control systems, not ET or. This isn't a one or the other world. You Can you hold a thought like that? It's challenging and it may take some practice, but it is, as Bernay says, kind of enlightening. It is very freeing to have two opposing thoughts at the same time. So, all right, on to the next one. Do you have a quote or quotes that you live your life by or think of often? Mm. Hmm. These are interesting questions. Uh, um, give me a minute. To and th- we can come back to Sure. That. No, no, no. I'm going I'm to have something for you. <laughs> there is a quote from, um, written by Joe Strummer of The Clash. I cut this. I wrote this down and put it on my refrigerator as a, you know, as a youth. Uh, it says... Uh, Are you taking over or are you taking orders? Are you going backwards or are you going forwards? And I would look at that in my refrigerator and I would try to answer those four questions for myself every day. That was Tom Morello, founding lead bassist for Rage Against the Machine, interviewed by Tim Ferriss on the TV show Fear Less and Great Lessons to be Learned. Are you taking orders or are you taking over? Are you moving backwards or are you moving forwards? Let that sit with you and we'll go on to the next clip. And take a break. I don't give up. I take a break, which is also a huge puzzle and problem solving strategy. Take a break because it resets your mind. Leonardo da Vinci talked about taking breaks. So I took a break and I came back and I was like, maybe it's not a gig. Maybe there's something in the letters. And and eventually I noticed that gags, if you rearrange them, is eggs, E-G-G-S. So the answer is scrambled eggs. Gags is scrambled eggs, <laughs> So, which was annoying, yeah. but also brilliant. But that, to me, is the key. Don't lock in on your thesis. Have it provisional. Always be open to new ways of looking at it. Again, don't lock into your initial thesis. I, I'm feeling, I'm sensing a pattern here. 
And it, there's really actually a common theme and it's to stay open, have an open mind. Don't, you can believe what you believe, but also believe that there might be other solutions, other possibilities, other ways of accomplishing the same task, goal, mission, whatever that might be. Let's cue the next clip. And this one is Guy Kawasaki was one of the first, one of the, yeah, one of the first employees of Apple worked directly for Steve Jobs. And he's going to talk about, uh, talk about how to make an awesome presentation. Here we go. Steve Jobs, he had text that's 200 points, right? The small font in a Steve Jobs slide was 90 points. Now, mm. we're not Steve Jobs, but I think the, the point, no pun intended, is that the bigger the font, the better the slide and the better the speaker. The bigger the font, the better the slide, the better the speaker. Those might be some amazing words to live by. How many times have you watched a presentation and either the speaker read off the slides they reference the slides. And in your mind, you're thinking, if I wanted to read the fucking slides, I would just read the fucking slides. Why are you on the stage? Why are you on the stage talking if it's if you just want me to read the slides? So take that for what it's worth on your next presentation. Number one, cut your slides in half. Number two, double or triple the font. And number three, just make it interesting. Okay, on to the next one. You know what? In that world, I could make the case that uh, ultimately water than oil, right? 100%, yeah. Right. Imagine a world where uh, water is the most valuable commodity, right? And so United States and Canada will form the, the WPEC or something. The, you know, instead of OPEC, it will be the water pack, right? <laughs> and so we'll have this meeting, you know, like President of the United States, President of Canada, and then we get together and say, well, should water be $100 a barrel or $150 a barrel? Shall we restrict water this year or not? And then, you know, to, to, this is I'm really making up stuff on the fly here. So now, you know, let's say there's political unrest in America, right? And so the world's water supply is threatened. So using American logic, countries that need water would say, oh, the political Situation in America is unstable. We need to invade America to establish stability to ensure the supply of water. Yeah. Because have we not done that for oil? Did we not say countries are unstable? We need to invade them, or we need sure. to, you know, whatever, change their political structure to maintain oil supply. So why wouldn't people do that to the United States? if they thought that the United States was unstable and their primary source of water. Yeah. I mean, man, think of the ramifications of that. So my friend Peter King, he was in a mastermind group with me. And yes, he is actually from the same King family, King Innovation family, Tom King, Harmony Blazing King. You get the idea. He's from the same family. We were in the, we were in the mastermind together. I started listening to his podcast called Wired for Impact. Great, great podcast. If you're looking for another podcast that is, um, uh, pretty diverse. Anyway, he, he interviewed Guy Kawasaki and, you know, I just like that clip because it talks about water being, you know, oil, water being gold. And that's our, that's our industry. That's what we're playing with. So when, when we're out there doing what we do and we see water flying around, you know, just give it some time. We, 
we uh, we may not we may think different and feel different about water and how we use it uh, in the future. So anyway, it's highly highly relevant, which is why I clipped it for you. So let's go to the next one. Very interesting idea. The, the consciousness chooses to really explore so deeply that it loses itself in the exploration, doesn't even know what it is. It becomes a physicalist. It actually thinks that consciousness isn't fundamental. It goes through the whole bit and then slowly has to wake up. And in so doing, it really explores what it's not and what it is. In some sense, to know what you are, you have to know what you're not. To know what you are, you have to know what you're not. And I, I often use this, this way of thinking. So sometimes in order to come up with a solution, I'll flip it over and figure out what it's not. And if you figure out what things are not, then it's, it becomes more clear what something is. So that, that really, uh, is, is the takeaway of this one and consciousness is to know what you are. You have to know what you're not. If you could go back and tell that guy from, you know, 1973, all the things that happened to you since, what would he make of it all? I was on a quest, you know, I think he'd be very happy that we made it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, because you start out, you know, you have to commit to this. This is not a part-time job. And it's in those days, you know, the ratio of success is real minuscule. There's, you know, there's a lot of wreckage on the road to success, you know? Jimmy, 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 Jimmy Buffett. So there is, Jimmy was on a quest, a quest. And he says, there is a lot of wreckage on the road to success. Now, I don't know what he means by wreckage, probably failure. Okay. So we have already heard (laughs) through this, uh, this labyrinth of clips that there is no such thing as failure, only learning. So if you're on a quest and you want to get somewhere, you have to learn. And how are you going to learn? You're going to have some wreckage. You're going to fail, but that's okay. You adjust the sails and you keep on your quest. All right. Cue the next clip. One thing that that I'm curious for levels is that I used it, found some insights, but then I just went kind of went back to living. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I'm guessing you're seeing that with other other customers? Yeah, there are kind of two major value propositions that are, they're not at odds, but they're different. One is the education and insights part of it, where the first month, a lot of people just learn a ton about their diet. They learn like, oh, well, ketchup has sugar in it. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's like we have a a content piece we're writing on sneaky spikers, things that people assume are healthy that actually are just loaded with sugar. And it's like teriyaki sauce loaded with sugar. A lot of salad dressings are just loaded with sugar and people don't realize it. And so people think that they're doing something healthy, but they're actually not. It's like stealthily squeezing in like four tablespoons of sugar. For some people, that's enough. And maybe this is something they do once a year just as a check-in and they don't really need to do it beyond that. And that's okay. Other people, the accountability is the value proposition that we hear a lot of. It's something that keeps you accountable to your diet because you can't lie to the sensor. If you have a nutritionist and you decide you're going to have a donut, you could just not tell them and pretend it didn't happen. But if you're wearing a sensor, it's going to show up. So it keeps you accountable to that. Those are the two value propositions that we've seen. 
So you can't lie to the censor. God, how, how amazing is that? You can't lie to the censor. So you can't lie to the censor. The censor is like the truth sayer. And that's what we're missing. So I, I may, this resonates because although it's a different, a totally different industry measuring blood glucose, it, it is an example of how the censor is the right tool. And we don't use enough censors in, in this industry. And there's going to be many more censors that's going to unlock all kinds of new opportunity and data and ways of thinking and best management practices that the sensor doesn't, it doesn't lie. So I think it's just going to be kind of, um, and there's two parts to it, right? Because he said that some people just like the data and that's cool, totally cool. And um, other people want, uh, you know, to be held accountable. And I think that sensors do hold people accountable and there's, there's two options. And again, it kind of is the, uh, it's not A or B, it's and. So if you think about what a sensor can provide, doesn't have to be automation. Nope. It could just be data collection. It could just be insights. It could be understanding. There's just a lot, a lot happening there. And that's a great example of the benefit to a sensor in a completely other industry. So cool. All right. On to the next one. Remember, better is not better. Better can't be seen. It is hidden behind the cloak of industry sameness. A better apple is indistinguishable when it is among other apples. You need people to notice you before they can really see you and see why you are better. You need to insert an orange. It's that simple. Then I added, let's find the different right now. It took us less than two minutes to have the first idea. I asked, tell me about the customer experience. Tell me what every real estate agent does to sell a house. A selling agent will list the house online, perhaps run it in a paper, and put up a for sale sign on the property. Hold on, wait. Does everyone put up a for sale sign? Does every house get one? Yeah, it's standard to practice, Greg said. Big, fat hint here. When something is standard practice in an industry, that is a massive opportunity to be different. Tell me how those signs are posted, I said. They are put on the home's property nearest the road. The signs are usually a sandwich board type or are a posted sign. How often are the signs posted that way? All the time. It's standard marketing practice, Greg said. What if the signs were different? What if it was a small windmill, one of the tall types that you see in a garden? And what if the sign was mounted to that, I asked. I've never seen that. No one. Greg paused. Then I finished his sentence for him. Yeah, Greg, no one does that. An orange among apples. When you, my listening friend, come up with an approach that inspires you to say, no one does that, you have found a different idea. That is Mike Michalowicz. He's the author of Get Different. Great, great author. He, he, uh, I, lo- I like the way this guy thinks. And again, he says, better is not better. Better cannot be seen. Better is hidden behind the cloak of of sameness industry sameness and i would uh i would say think about your business whatever it is if you're a contractor or distributor your specifier landscape architect how do you differentiate amongst the other contractors do you look like sameness when you pitch better you pitch 
you you pitch your head to head spacing is just is better than the other guy's head to head spacing. You're likely pitching sameness, and I encourage you to figure out how to be the orange in the apple bin. It could be as simple as having different looking trucks, different looking clothes. Be be fucking different. Otherwise, you're pitching sameness. Got it? Let's move on. And I was like, yeah, but I had to go give keynotes and stand on stage in boardrooms of Adidas and the LA Clippers and all these people and say, your marketing sucks. And they're like, no, it doesn't. It works. I was like, to what extent? In what lens? To what distance? So I'm going to challenge all of you. And we're going to go through some examples of this because I pulled some examples today to be different and to think different, right? But what's the number one fear? Typically, the number one fear is to be being seen, right? It's not like we're afraid to miss the shot. It's we're afraid for other people to see us miss the shot. So that is George Bryant. I was in George Bryant's mastermind for a little bit. He's got some great conferences. His podcast is called The Mind of George. And of all the quotes, this one is a good mic drop because sometimes we think we're afraid of failure. And I would question that. George said it perfectly. We are... We are not afraid of failure. We are afraid of being seen to fail. It is the fa- it is the fear of being seen failing. That's the fear. So I don't have any more to say on that other than that's the that that's the that's the truth. So you got to just put your ego aside, be humble, and uh, you know not not be afraid to strike out. The feeling of striking out. Maybe that, that's what it is. It's being seen striking out. So, all right, guys, next one. I always think the best questions are naive questions, which is why I love employing students or graduates and students, because they start you off on a different train. Because the trouble with experience is you know how to do things. Well, I mean, you, you know how to do some things. And experience is a baggage that can get in the way. And what you need is someone saying, why? Why is it like that? Why do you have to do it like that? And it, it stops you dead in your tracks. And you, so it forces you to not follow the path that everybody else follows. And students and graduates have no fear of pioneering. They've got, they've got nothing to lose. <laughs> That's James Dyson. The James Dyson. And I, lo- I love this. He was interviewed on Tim Ferriss's podcast episode 530. Super, super good episode. Highly recommend you listen to it. And, you know, a couple things. He, he uh, you know, the, the best questions are the naive questions. And what I find fascinating is when he, when he says that experience is baggage that could get in the way. Because if you're experienced, then you kind of have this know, this I know mentality, right? And, and as, as I've already, you know, as we've heard here today, it's a, it's a uh, unthink and relearn or rethink and unlearn, whatever the heck Bernay Brown says that, that I'm, you know, uh, uh, showing for you guys. But it's the ask why. Why is it done this way? You know, and, and, and the people that ask why can sometimes annoy their bosses, but, don't be afraid. If you want to know why, ask why. If you're knowing your boss, that's his problem not or her problem, not your problem. Okay? So you have my permission to ask why a million times about everything. <laughs> cool. All right. Next one. You have to, the customer has to have 
probably like a two to ten x benefit because of the technology change. And if that if that doesn't exist, no, real humans in the real world don't change tools because there's some interesting technology dimension to it. Like like we do in the tech industry because we want to play around the like the next thing. But actual humans only change their behavior if there's some material benefit that they get. So that is was the CEO of Box being interviewed by Jason Calacanis on This Week in Startups. And what I like is that he put some numbers out there, 2 to 10x the benefit of the technology for there to be for someone to make some change adopt it there has to be some like real material benefit it can't just be some cool little button some cool little thing right it has to actually have material benefit for the majority of people to want to use it outside of what he doesn't say but likely outside of the early adopters okay so it's got to be a 2 to act 2 to 10x benefit and think about that in your own job, what you do. Are you, if you're pitching something new, is there a real material benefit to the customer? All right. Let's go to the next one. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a story. About a, and, and that promoter, uh, early adopter was Logitech, who makes all the computer peripherals. Yeah. And they have very, very sharp uh, designers and uh, put cool keyboards and uh, they've improved the mouse and things that you didn't think would be improved. Um, They discovered that when they just did their customer, their, their net promoter feedback through the phone uh, service, the customer service reps, the engineers wouldn't listen. They just presumed, Oh, those, those guys in the, in the service, in the call center, they just don't get it. Um, They didn't, (laughs) they didn't go to uh, MIT like I did. And, and so what, what Logitech figured out is, well, we ought to close the loop directly from the customer to the engineer. So when there's a problem, the loop goes right back to the engineer and they get to talk to the customer. Wow, this one is so true in our industry. A lot of times, engineers sit in a room all by themselves, come up with some new feature, roll it out to market, and the customer's like, what's this? I don't even need this. I love, I love, love, love how Logitech closed the loop by taking customer inquiries, the problems, and feeding it right back to the engineers because the engineers should design for the customer, not not necessarily for themselves unless they've stood in the shoes of the customer. So we see that a lot in this industry, and I, I really love that quote. So it's getting to be uh, like minute 45 here. We got to move on to the next one to get in under the one-hour mark. Okay, guys, next one. Here we go. It reinforces the status quo. Most offerings are not explicitly positioned because people believe there is only one possible default way to position their product. Rather than helping companies think creatively about what they do, the positioning statement encourages them to look at the market the way they have always looked at it. Status quo thinking will almost always put the existing market leaders at an advantage and leave you blind to potential shifts in the way your customers see your market. That is April Dumford. She is the author of Obviously Awesome. She's the probably one of the most well-known uh, authorities on product positioning, brand positioning. And I love what she says about default thinking, you know, um, people looking at something the same way they've always looked at it will 
will generally give the upper hand so if you, to the to the competition or the biggest player. So if you're looking at something the way you've always looked at it, you are giving the upper hand to the competitors. And uh, you this this resonates on a lot a lot of levels. You cannot. Hmm, how do I say this? You cannot out Rainbird using Rainbird strategy because Rainbird owns that strategy. If you want to beat Rainbird, you got to do something different. If if you want to out outlast out out uh, out compete your biggest competitor in your market, you cannot do it the way they've done it with that default thinking. So, kind of goes back to Mike Michalowicz's uh, think different, be the orange in the apple bin, right? You got it. You, you're getting the idea. There's some themes here. Let's roll on to the next one. And and that that goes to one of my pet theories, which the the leaders that that we talk to and work with uh, every day in brand that are the digital leaders, they are the next presidents and CEOs. I'm I'm like I'm sure of it because I I feel like the the facility with how this world works and being able to bring that to the omni-channel business. I think I'm, I'm excited about the career prospects of the folks that, uh, that we work with every day. It's really impressive. Yeah. I mean, Russ over at Cleveland research gave a talk at um, our you know digital self summit a few years ago where he said the future CEO is coming out of these teams yes. because the, the way that you think about branding and performance marketing and spending ad dollars and winning market share in this new world is is just different, right? So you, it, traditionally, you would have the CMO enter the CEO gig and the CMO is a brand guy. Um, or you'd have the head of sales enter the CEO gig and the, the head of sales is a trade guy. And I think that the next generation of CEOs are going to be these folks that came up through digital and have somehow internalized digital as branding and transactional at the same time and merge those concepts in their head and figure out how to make the operations work. So for all you young digital guys out there or gals, for all you young people that are just starting out in your career, the future CEO is coming out of the digital teams. So if you're into digital, this is the place to be. This was um, an episode of, uh, it's called Unpacking the Digital shelf and it's uh, it's basically a podcast for you know b2b e-commerce unpacking the digital shelf and they're you know kind of saying predicting that future ceos won't come from cmos they're going to come from the digital team so if you're young in your career or really anywhere in your career uh get on that digital team if you want some advancement cool all right well we're getting close to the end we got just got a maybe a one or two more so let's hit it how do you know when it is greatness I think when the world is beating a path to your door for something that it can't get anywhere else. Where the conversation first came up was probably in uh, Anne Rand's book, Atlas Shrug, you know, to make a product that is best in the world and not let anyone else um, bring you down or get in the way of, of making that product. I think the other thing that came is from the book Good to Great from Collins which I think is probably the best business book of all time. There is no real business. There is no real moving into kind of the stratosphere unless you can claim that you're making something that is the best in the world. And so when I think when you make the best in the world, then all parts of your business fall into place because like I was saying, the, the world beats a path to your doorstep. 
greatness. I think let's define greatness as business, but this is the yeah, founder of Lululemon, Chip Wilson. Greatness is when customers are beating their way to your doorstep. And sometimes that's referred to as market pull. So you got to you got to build something that has that has market pull. Okay, and and according to Chip Wilson, that is a sign of uh, of greatness. He was interviewed by Noah Kagan on Noah Kagan Presents, another great podcast. And uh, as far as my notes go, here on this on this episode, this montage of clips from Andy's iPhone that wraps it up, guys. These were in really no particular order. Other, well, take that back, kind of. Kind of. I did change the first ones just to try to see the episode. Otherwise, it was kind of chronological, just working backwards through my phone, developing these clips and or finding these clips and then moving them uh, over to the uh, editing platform. I hope you enjoyed this and uh, as much as I did, because this was also good for me to kind of uh, put my own thoughts together. And perhaps I could find a common theme, or if you see a theme, you can help me out because sometimes I don't, I I don't see everything. I can only see uh, what I what's right in front of me, and sometimes that just seems natural and normal. So if you see a theme here, let me let me know. Reach out on LinkedIn, send me a message, say, hey man, I really enjoyed this one. This one cl- quote really resonated with me, and uh, I would love uh would love to know so thanks so much you guys catch you next week on another either exciting informative or hilarious episode of the sprinkler nerd show ciao ciao if you've made it to this point in the album this is the bonus round there will be one There'll be one more clip by, from, announced, read, spoken by Jerry Garcia. Let's roll. Get it? You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's been kind of like that for us, really. You know, this stuff is mostly stuff, errors. It's a comedy of errors, really. And eventually you'll learn to do things the right, be more thorough and so forth. All, all stuff that we don't want to do, but, you know. It seems like with many bands in concert, they reproduce the record exactly. It yeah. seems like the word for the Grateful Dead in concert is improvise. Yeah, that, well, we would probably do, we would probably reproduce the record exactly if we were disciplined enough to do it. But it's just, you know, it's just, uh, forget it, it's out of the question. It doesn't, you know. So what happens instead is, I mean, by now our fans realize that that's, they're not going to hear the record. They may hear the songs, but they won't, definitely won't hear the record. So, and that, but that's okay. I mean, really, a, a, from a musician's point of view, a record is kind of like a, uh, a painting, you know. Uh, it, it, it's, you have a chance to really study every, all the detail, and you can, you can be sure that everything that happens in the song uh, has the benefit of uh, supervision. So you can pay attention to incredible detail. When you're playing live, it's uh, a whole lot. It's a whole other experience. It's it's uh, like a snapshot. You know, it's like a Polaroid. It it what what you, what's there is what's there, and the moment provides new things. Sometimes, sometimes they're better, sometimes they're worse. But they're they're really it's they're really two different things. It's like apples and oranges almost. You know, it's uh, it's it it's just 
for us, that's been our our big trouble making records. Really, is we've never been able to get that live energy into the grooves. You know, and, and we go in the studio, and we might be able to get it to sound superficially okay, but it's just no life. You know, it'd be like, you know, uh, so that's been the big mystery for us. And, but we're starting to get to where we can do that now. We're starting to understand what it what it takes to make that happen. Many bands they hear the words bootleg tapes, they go crazy, <laughs> but the dead sort of promote the trading and the hoarding and the passing around of bootleg performances. Well, I don't know about the hoarding, trading, and passing. <laughs> the thing is that we don't discourage the tapers, but it's just because it's a reality. You know, that even if you even if you try to prevent people from taping, they're going to tape anyway. It's just there's just no way to stop it, really. So for us, it's one of those things of. Uh, First of all, they, they're coming. They're paying to hear the music, you know. And I mean, after we're finished with it, you know, it's gone, you know. So why why shouldn't they take the music that they paid for home with them? I mean, I don't see any problem with that, really. And I uh, I I think that probably there's a superstition anyway in the music business that if you let people tape your music, somehow they won't buy your records. I don't think that's true. I mean. At least it hasn't seen. It doesn't appear to be true as far as the Grateful Dead is concerned. That is to say that if people buy buy tickets, they also buy records, uh, what, whether they tape or not. And the fact that there are enormous numbers of tapes out there in circulation, I mean, it just it doesn't seem to affect. You know, it doesn't seem to affect us in any kind of serious way, except that we have a reputation for being people who are lenient about taping. You know, that's about the most serious repercussion. And of course, there's the thing of that. I mean, if you're worried about concealing your mistakes, then you might have a legitimate thing about preventing people from taping. Like, if you decide that uh, your experience, uh, your performances have to be absolutely perfect before you want them, you know. But I mean, realistically, you know, nobody is, has absolutely perfect performances. It just doesn't have not in this world, you know. So, so since people are going to be taping, I mean, it's it's just. I, I, it's one of those things where I disagree with the traditional approach to it. That's all, you know. And, and, and it's I, we've been doing this for a long time. It doesn't seem to have bothered anybody. You know?